I think to be happy, you have to live in accordance with reality. Yeah. So if this is all like a fairy tale, then it's nice. But if but if reality is, we are connected. There is this 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 unity, this wholeness. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Howie, how are you? Good I'm to see good, you. good. Yeah, been a wee while. It's nice to get uh, back in the podcasting gig again. <laughs> yeah, I've been sick and you've been traveling. Yeah, yeah. The the, uh, the paths haven't quite crossed over, but it's good to come back into it and do another thing. So how have you been? Um, other than sick. Other other than than, sick. Other, <laughs> there is nothing other than sick. Yeah. <laughs> sick is kind of the, uh, the underlying... Yeah, it's um, it's good to get out. It's like mm. my my first day out of the house mm. in a while, and like you know, I have an office and I have things to do there and places to be. But mm. uh, to you know, we were we were sitting here. And I was talking to my wife, saying we're basically doing parallel play right. in the same room, working on our own stuff. But it helps. Mm. Yeah, it does. It's, it's old, isn't it? It's like when you feel isolated. Sometimes you want, you crave. I think it's Socrates or something that said that you know, when overburdened with. People, you you crave isolation, and when you have too much isolation, you crave the company of others, or something like that. I can't remember what it is, and that just seems to be like some people crave more isolation. If you're really introverted or just can't get all people out after about ten minutes, then you you have to really retreat for a while. I know several people like that, and then others just uh, like m most of my family just like lots of company and bubble most of the time. But even we crazed extroverts still have to retreat once in a while and kind of clear our minds. I find after sometimes after a seminar teaching or something for like four hours straight and just talking, I'm like, I, I really am now finally sick of the sound of my own voice. I'm going to have to yeah. go somewhere and not listen to it for a while. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> talking to anyone or, or doing anything. So, um, so yeah, being sick is a really interesting situation, I think, because um, it just it isolates you in a, in a, in a way that's kind of involuntary, right? So you, you don't even want the company of people when you're sick. You just kind of want to be left alone like a bear in the woods to die or something, you know? So I, I get like that anyway. Yeah, what, what, what I want is to be able to tell when I'm going to get sick and take those three days in bed mm. enjoyably. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so like, if I'm going to spend three days in bed, I might as well, you know, like them. Sure, yeah, yeah. If I'm going to, you know, just sort of breathe and put my head in the pillow and watch videos. Right, yeah, you just want to kind of languish, right, when you yeah, get sick. Yeah, it's, nice, it's nice to do it without the sinus headache. Yeah, and it really works out though when you have an extent, have a family as well, right? It's like, it's being sick when you've got kids or being sick when you've got people who depend on you feels selfish, right? You, yeah. you, you know, you're sick, but you can't be like, oh, I'll take a, like a, a man flu day and just hang out and play some video games and read some books and stuff. As people are kind of looking at you like, how sick are you really? Couldn't yeah. you get up and do some laundry? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Imagine it's much worse for women. Yeah, yeah, exactly, because they have much more of that burden usually of the of the of the stuff going on at home. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, and, and that they're they're sort of trained to you know mm. not take care of themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good at powering through as well. That's funny because there's a stereotype of men not wanting to go to the doctor and powering through when they get sick. But I th I've seen that pretty much fifty fifty. I, th I don't think think that's gender dependent at all. I've seen plenty of women who do that as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who just kind of like no, I'll be fine, and they just kind of power through until they get really sick. You know. Like, so I think yeah. women are. More attentive to like physical symptoms. Hmm. Um, I, I think they're they're or, or physical symptoms that look like they would be on the you know physician's desk reference, hmm. as opposed to sort of lifestyle symptoms like fatigued, cranky, hmm. you know, foggy. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, those like, guys on there. 
Yeah, interesting. So, so what I wanted to talk about today a little bit was um, this idea of, uh, I guess it ties in a little bit with isolation, in the idea of like uh, connection and the importance of connection, mm-hmm. and what um, what Systema training practice and involvement in Systema communities can do for our sense of connection. Um, and there's kind of like three three or four contexts I'm kind of thinking of it in. First and foremost is this um, the connection that you make to yourself, and that's kind of described loosely in the you know. The edict in, in Systema to know thyself, to understand how your body works and um, how you work psychologically, even on your own, even in in a kind of vacuum away from other people uh, and away from influencing factors, if there could be such a thing, right? Um, and then connection to others, um, to other people, other individuals, and how you kind of react to them physically and then psychologically. Um, and then kind of to your environment, to your wider environment, how you react to changes in place. Um, how you, I mean, we just had daylight savings time creep in and it's it's amazing what a difference that can make to so many people in terms of how oh, cranky they get or how kind of out of sorts. There's, there's wide scale behavior changes like you'd see in, you know, like rats or something and you can see them in people like in the moment over that weekend when daylight savings time happens. It just needs to die. The whole idea just needs to go away. <laughs> but, it's, um, but, but it's really interesting seeing that and how the environment just affects people, not just in a physical sense, but in a psychological sense as well, the place that they're in and their connection to their environment. And then finally, this kind of idea of kind of the unity of connection where kind of the self, other people and the whole environment all seems to disappear into one kind of big thing. Um, and it, it's, it occurs to me, and we can come back to this maybe towards the end, that this is almost the goal of Systema. It's not just to understand yourself, but it's to see yourself in the context of something a lot bigger, in the context of other people and your relationships, in the context of um, your, the natural environment that you're in, that you're moving through and, and without. Um, and then that there's maybe something bigger than you, like out with all of it, right? Um, depending on which direction of spiritual exploration you go into, it might just be a sense of all abiding nature, or it might be God, or it might be just the unity of consciousness. I don't know, but it seems like that the people who really develop themselves in Systema don't stop at just figuring out how their biomechanical chains get put together, like how they're mm-hmm. connected physically to themselves, and then that's it. There seems to be, there seems to be more and more and more of an influence on how we interact and how we interact with our environment. So I'd kind of like to go through those a little bit and get your thoughts if that's okay with you. Yeah, I mean, from from what I hear from some of the Systema teachers who are either teaching very advanced or very basic skills, hmm. they often, you also, use words that I don't understand because they're very simple, hmm. right? And, you know, so like Vlad will be talking about, you know, entering a room and sensing it yeah and like uh, how do you teach like there's no you know list of steps Mm. to teach that it's not like teaching someone how to punch it's not biomechanical Mm. but these these deeper connections Mm. seem like Mm. the the core of the practice and all all of the, the biomechanics are simply you know built on top of those yeah, or, or yeah, just a tiny part of the, that structural foundation. Like, and even that, actually, the, the longer I've studied striking and system, the more I've realized that it, it's a relationship, right? It's, a, it's not biomechanics. It's a, if you have terrible biomechanics, then you're not going to form a very good relationship because you have a shaky device, a shaky mm. tool making that connection, right? So like having a malfunctioning iPhone and trying to start a long-distance girlfriend relationship with somebody in Taiwan, right? It's probably not going to go too well if the iPhone keeps busting up or yeah. Skype's not working. But given that you have a perfect connection, in terms of that, 
that medium, that conduit that's going through, that still doesn't determine that the relationship is going to be good. And it's the same way with a strike. You can have very, very good biomechanics um, and try to make the connection in a way that would hit a bag and make it go poof. Um, but it doesn't have the effect of a systemic strike. And a systemic strike is all about the context of where he's standing, where you're standing, how you feel, how he feels. There's so much that's going on, and there's an instantaneous moment of connection in that, which is really so. So it's that kind of thing that I'm talking about on a basic level. Yeah, it is physical things bumping into each other, but there's so much more to it than that. And this idea of connection for me kind of pervades and goes beyond all of those ideas. Uh, I mean, what comes to mind for me is when you describe a strike that way, mm. that I haven't done the math, but I don't think our brains are, are smart enough and fast enough to process all that stuff. So it feels like the intelligence is, is very body-oriented, yeah. very embodied. Yeah. And one of the things I really appreciate about a good Systema class mm. is that I get to stop my effing mind right. from, yeah. from like tyrannizing me all the time. Like it's just, it just mm. it's not needed here. Sure. Yeah. So, so let's um, so let's go. Let's start with kind of like, let's start with the self connection to the self and and where that becomes important, right? If you don't physically understand how your, even before we get into the kind of the unity and the connections, the relationships between breathing and how your body holds structure and position, right, um, or posture, or the connection between structure or your body's um, integrity and then how it moves. And then how all of those things connect to your ability to stay in control and relaxed as you move, right? Those are the standard connections we talk about all the time. It's the breathing structure, movement, relaxation, and the, the connections between those things that make the foundation of Sistema like on, on, a, on a fundamental level. But even before you get to that, right, if you, if you have no concept of structure just on its own, right, if you just think of your body as something that you can just kind of abuse throw whatever you want to into it in terms of fuel, um, pick up whatever kind of weight you want and bend over at any kind of weird angle, pick things up and put them down again and then hope that you're gonna make, make yourself stronger, right? Or that you work to failure doing lots and lots of exercise and you do that day in, day out with a view to making yourself stronger and stronger over time. Then you're fundamentally, I think you're setting yourself up for injury probably, like, or illness or other things going out of whack because you're just failing to acknowledge the, the, the interconnectedness of systems within the body, right? So even if we just take the physical systems within your body before we get involved anyone or anything else, um, if you don't understand that you're not just kind of pushing and yanking things around with muscles and that those muscles don't actually connect to bones anywhere in the body directly, they're wrapped in a layer of stuff called fascia and that stuff connects to wrap layers of stuff which wraps around bones, right? And there's mm -hmm. this kind of web of interconnected stuff that moves things through a kind of graduated and interdependent network of weird webbing, this kind of stuff. If you don't understand that on a conceptual level, you have no idea of how connected your left ankle is to your right wrist or, yeah. or like the right side of your hip to the left side of your shoulder blade, for example. If you don't really acknowledge those things and you move your arms around as if they're just individual things in the way that sometimes people do in, um, or used to it's dying out now in kind of old school bodybuilding and weightlifting where you sit and isolate one thing and just do like a bicep curl over and over again or something to, to make one muscle bigger. Um, then you're basically setting yourself up to break those connections, right? If you don't acknowledge those connections, those con the existing ones will weaken and break. Does that kind of make sense? If you don't act in such a way that you acknowledge those connections, they, they will fail, they will break down. 
Yeah, and I th- you know, when I heard you begin talking about this, what struck me was the, the language of like your body. Mm-hmm. Like there's something very fundamental about thinking that there's a difference between me and my body. Yeah. Right? And so me coming in very heady, mm. I can think about, well, I'm going to do this to my body or I'm going to get my body to do this. Mm. As opposed to like when, when we're doing the breath work, one of the things you're constantly challenging me to do is to bring my consciousness out of my head mm. and into the pulse net. Yeah. Into the tension in my belly. Yeah. Right. So that at that point, it's no like as long as my head is where I live mm. and the rest of it is just this machine that I'm trying to optimize. Yeah. Then we can talk all we want about connections, but it's just going to be theory and words. Sure. As opposed to when you when you give allow me to have an experience of the wholeness of the body, mm. then I can begin to to act from, you know, I mean, you spend year, years in Japan, right? So like there's mm. like in Japan, like the center of consciousness is like right below the belly button. Hot up, yeah. hot up. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that we, that Sistema has taught me, like, I've, I know, I know that the body's connected and all this mm. stuff, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. you know, I know about fascia. I was a massage therapist in the 1990s, mm. but I didn't know it. Mm. Until I really started practicing differential tension mm. and the breath work and the really the hard stuff. Yeah. Like that was the foundation for me. So, so even before you get into the idea of it just being knowledge then, the, 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 the underpinning thing there is that you have to connect to yourself first before you can even start exploring what the self is, kind of in a way, right? Or you have to acknowledge that there isn't like a you looking at it, right? You are it. That's yeah. it. You're, in, you're on the inside looking out, right? And you can put your consciousness anywhere you want within your body, right? And arguably outside of it to some extent as well. But definitely within your body, you can move your consciousness to your toe, like, and you will abruptly if you stub your toe on something, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it will stay there until, you know, for quite a while and nothing else will seem to matter, right? Um, but the ability to do that, to, to realize that you are your body and you, you're one kind of unified thing. So, does that understanding, do you think, is that more important even than understanding like anatomical connections between things or understanding that that's, that those connections, those physical connections? Well, I don't know. For, I mean, for me, I had, I had a deep understanding on an intellectual level and yeah. maybe, maybe I needed that in order mm. to be willing to explore being embodied. Could, could you shortcut from one to the other, do you think? Could you just not know anything about the body but still find some way of getting somebody to embody it. I guess meditation tries to do that in some ways, right? People sit there and think about it really hard (laughs) or focus on the idea that they try and look for their own head and they (laughs) they can't find it or, you know, things like that. And then they're like, oh, I must just be my entire body and I'm just consciousness in this thing somewhere, right? Like kind of that idea. Yeah. I think of meditation as as sort of like, you know, using your brain muscle to failure Mm. and then really, okay, well, Mm. that's done. It didn't get me where I wanted to go. It didn't. Okay. You know, now, now, you know, what else is there? Mm. And I mean, I, you know, I've been an athlete, so I, I, I played a lot of like moving object sports like mm. tennis and baseball and frisbee. Yeah. And there is a there is a way that when I am in the groove there, that there that my brain is simply not relevant. Sure. That the body can just do amazing things when yeah. I just get out of the way. Mm. And I didn't know how to cultivate it. Mm. And it seems to feel like Sistema has been a gym for cultivating body intelligence hmm. preferentially or at least not maybe not preferentially but at least like in our culture we are so head focused yeah that at least it's bringing it back into balance okay so it's like a necessary antidote to all the thinking that we do and everything top down that we do yeah i mean you can you can see when you're working with a student i know you can see it when you're working with me and i'm thinking my yeah. way through a movement sure yeah yeah 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So we just had a, a day class here today, right? And we um, and we mm -hmm. were working with the chain, right? That mm -hmm. idea of somebody swinging a chain at you, and and the chain is interesting because it's very unforgiving, right? The connection it, it makes with you is very abrupt, um, and. Um, this is getting on to a, with connecting with external objects, I guess, a little bit. But um, but in that, I could see like when somebody is attempting to think and time the entry and rotate at a certain angle to try and meet the chain, and you you can't really afford to do it. You just have to kind of soften your whole body. You have to kind of widen your view of the other person and the chain swinging at you, and then you have to just sort of see if you can fit into that, right? So you, your body and everything moves as one whole piece, and that, and it kind of blends with the chain, I guess, in a way, right? It's, you just kind of soften so that it falls into you a little bit and then will fall off of you or then you have the option of redirecting it after you've rebounded. But there's no amount of like, enter precisely 80 degrees with this kind of timing and then the chain will definitely bounce off at this angle. Because even the chain moves at weird timing in an in a, in a unpredictable way as well, right? So for me, working with the chain like that is, is a lesson in understanding how my body has to move as one bit um, but then also has to kind of undulate within itself as well. A little bit. Yeah, well, because I don't grow up, um, you know, avoiding chains. Right. So it'd be, it's a new thing. But I do grow up interacting with lots of other things that I just do without thinking about it. Like mm. we, we did, we did a workshop. I can't remember the guy's name. A guy from Toronto. Um, Igor Polanzov, former sniper. Oh, Max Franz. Max yeah, Franz. Like he had an exercise where we just walked around shaking hands with people. Mm, yeah. And like, we, we were really good at it. Like, mm -hmm. nobody had a problem knowing exactly when to put your hand out, how to sure. meet the other person. There was no yeah. awkwardness in it. Mm. You know, there's no, there's no awkwardness when we do those drills where we sort of walk up to someone with either an affect of, you know, aggression or mm. neutrality or diffidence or curiosity to know when you want to move your body out of the way. Sure. But then, but that's all sort of that's body learning. Like no one ever taught me a class on how to shake hands. Mm, yeah. And so I think you know I approach the chain the same way. Like the the less I think about it, mm. the more the quicker my body will will learn how to negotiate this relationship. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, I didn't I didn't put the put those two together. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, it definitely works. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so there's that, that, that exception of the connections within yourself, right? First of all, um, and the fact that you are one interconnected thing, right? Um, so that's one level of, of how Systema can teach us about connection. Um, and the second one is, and we've kind of started getting into this, is your connection with others, right? Um, before we get into like others swinging chains at you and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, obviously, our relationships are the way that we think about the world and our relationships are about 99% of our lives and what we are, right? Aside from just gathering food somehow and eating and defecating and going to sleep and waking up again. Like arguably knowing other people and interacting with them is probably what makes most of our lives worthwhile in one way or another, right? Yeah. Unless you're like a you know self-enforced hermit of some kind. And um, I can't speak to how happy somebody can be like that for extended periods, but most of the biology seems to imply that um, that we're social animals, that we're actually not very good at surviving on our own. And we kind of know it on a deep evolutionary level. We've got kind of thin skin. We're mm. not hairy enough. We don't have teeth and claws. Um, you know, we just did a survival weekend. We were out um, just not too far south of here for just uh, over a 24 hour period, pretty much in, in this 100 acre uh, woodland, private woodland owned by a guy who's a former special forces trainer and still trains now army guys and air force guys locally and that kind of stuff. But he's retired and just kind of does it half for fun. Really amazing guys, lived all around the world and he's been in 
like harsh survival environments ranging from like the jungles of like Malaysia and like South America to um, Africa and like he lived in Russia for a couple of years his, his wife is Russian he speaks fluent Russian and Polish and a couple of other languages as well really interesting guy um, but it struck me that there we were not too far from civilization we're maybe like I don't know 10 miles outside of like Raleigh, North Carolina, something like that, right? So quite near a big city. Um, and yet we're in this woodland and then right away as every, all the kind of comforts are stripped away and we're there overnight and he's just like, okay, well, we've got to make a fire. And somehow we've got to come up with like how to make a fire so that we can boil some water and then you get to eat your crappy freeze-dried food that you brought with you, like that kind yeah. of thing, right? Um, and as you start with that, and you don't get to cheat and you don't get to use any of the accelerants or other things like that and you're just trying to use kind of native bits of bark and fluff them up and things and you're failing for like 5, 10, 15 minutes at a time there's this little sense of desperation inside you that sort of says oh god, oh god if, if, if this was me and I was trapped outdoors and it was humid or it was raining and I just had to start a fire or you know, by, or when it got dark I'd probably die of exposure or something Right? I had to build a shelter I had to um, build a fire if I couldn't do it, then I'm kind of done for, right? And mm -hmm. we have this human kind of like <gasps> scariness about it. But that was attenuated somewhat by the fact that there was 12 of us there, right? And you could be like, well, if I can't make a fire, maybe Dave can, right? And I can nick his boiled water or I can nick his fire. Right. I can take some of it and start mine at least if starting it is the problem or something like that. So there's this kind of safety in numbers kind of thing. And I think it's so innate with humans. I think we need each other on a deep, deep level, right? Um, so that connection between people is something that we crave, that we need, um, and that makes our lives worthwhile. But at the same time, probably connections between people is probably 99% of our stress and anger and those things too. It's not interactions with inanimate things, although Facebook and computers are pretty annoying. right? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it's those connections with other people that bring us most of our joy and most of our woe. So how, can, how does the practice of Sistema, for you, has it changed anything about your relationships and how you relate to your family or workmates or other things like that? Yeah, in a lot of ways. And, and we were talking earlier, you were helping me brainstorm a workshop and you suggested that I have these people who are you know, corporate yeah. like place a hand on the, on the other person's arm or mm. you know, on the belly and talking about how when you do your workshops that that can that really allows people to relax yeah and 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 form connection with each other mm. you know i think you know we, i mean all human societies and civilizations and cultures are not equal in terms of like how connected people are, believe themselves to be yeah right like this we are in the very extreme of in, independence yeah. In terms of like, I, you know, you don't define me, mm. but you know, if we are this web of relationships and it is 99% of our lives, then, mm. like, then we're, we're missing out yeah. if, we're, if, we're not, if we're not aware that, you know, I am myself because of who you are. Yeah. Right. And so what, you know, the, the, the Sistema focus on, on touch, on proximity, mm. on people, you know, rolling around on top of each other. You know, I often think about, um, you know, especially women who have uh, had a, a traumatic experience in their lives coming into this setting, how frightening it can be and also how healing it can be. Yeah. Um, you know, just at that basic level that people are meant to be touched by yeah. each other. And yeah. they're, and they're uh, you know, so in, just term, in terms of my own 
relationships with with family mm. like I'm much less reactive to like you know accidentally someone hits me or slaps my arm or something yeah. you know I used to get angry True. yeah or or someone accidentally like drops an ice cube down the back of my neck <laughs> right or well, not so accidentally yeah mischievous give, kids. give them the benefit of the doubt like <laughs> you know it's like doing the system of practice of the, the cold water bucket sure has has changed my my nervous system mm. to the point where where physical contact of many kinds doesn't set me off. It's just okay, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah, there's, I, I've seen this a lot myself, and I, I, I agree that culturally it varies a lot. You know, you see people from South American countries and they hug a lot, do you know what I mean, when, when they come and go. And, and, you know, I've made friends here that are from those regions. And, and you almost feel kind of psychologically connected to them. It's easier to get friendly with people when the first time you meet them and you depart you part ways they just give you a hug and it's like i've got no choice in this here it goes right and mm-hmm. and i experienced kind of both extremes of that like in in japan people are very touch of us for the most part mm. um here people most people are touch of us in like tr- like people from america who aren't from a subculture that's very touchy mm. are intrinsically touch of us and i don't know whether it kind of comes hand in hand with the like independent mindedness of it or like the frontier mentality like i got mine i'm over here and i'm going to build things around it and you can't have any you know (laughs) like and all that less dependence on social structure and social groups and i wonder if that differs markedly between groups like if you looked at the amish or something like that who really crave that social connection and all hang out with each other all the time or like subgroups gangs maybe or something like that right you know even Mm -hmm. in the city urban gangs i bet you probably find that they're a lot better with touch than the average American, right? And it's people who aren't in a gang, who aren't in like a community, a, a very strong community like that, who are probably more touch of us because we just get out of the habit of it, right? We get out of the habit of contact with other people, social and physical. And, and to me, definitely, there's this aspect that even a little bit of practice on this can go a long way. You know, I'm working with um, people in corporate groups and some of them uh, also with groups of clergy, right? Um, who look after, large groups of congregants so they've got lots of social contact um, but not touchy contact right mm-hmm. it's not the same kind of way and, and it's amazing putting them together they're extraordinarily touch averse and just kind of flinchy even when you, they get touched on the arm or something right but over time and over not very much time at all we're talking about like 20 minutes in the middle of a workshop or something getting them to breathe and do some entrainment like putting a hand on them and then breathe with the person or having them put a hand somewhere on the body and then you have to breathe towards it just things like that that take your mind off the fact that the contact is happening. I've seen people go from like horribly contact averse, like scared of any kind of contact and flinchy, to, all right, this is not my favorite thing, but I'm okay with it. It's fine, right? Mm-hmm. And then go from that into even like laughing with the person and like and touching them as they leave the room, like in a way that they probably wouldn't have done. And some people have even commented this way, like I worked in a cubicle across from this person for the last eight years, but we've never really touched you know we've, we've maybe touched hands some of them haven't even shaken hands they just kind of nod or something and in this one workshop it changed the whole working relationship because it's like okay we've now we've crossed the touch barrier now it's okay to cross all kinds of other barriers right and we can start doing other things and maybe it also comes from the litigiousness and the fear of you know kind of um, sexual harassment and other things that have come up in recent well, years as well. Some of which is, you know, with due worry and you want to make sure that touch is consensual and it's happy and yeah. it's wanted and all that kind of stuff. Um, but th- there's definitely this aspect that just pure touch on its own, just a, like a bump or a nudge or a slap on the back, shouldn't intrinsically be scary to anybody, right, in, in any way. Mm-hmm. Even if you're, you know, if, even if you've been sensitized to it, there should be some way back, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you think about how how we use touch in the civilization, it's either for sex, mm. violence, or control, 
Hmm. <laughs> Essentially, like you know, there's variations. We, as in like this culture. This or? culture. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Right. So, so it's a very, it's you know, it's very trifurcated, I guess, and you know, very, very narrowly um, applied. And when I come to Sistema, I have to learn how to. So we're starting out with a strike class, so we want to sensitize and desensitize the body to tenderize it a little bit. I have to apply a very particular kind of strike. Sure. Or sometimes I do a push, mm. and we learn that it's, there's a huge continuum that there's yeah. that the the touch is you know is so very is very subtle. There's a spectrum of things there's, like that all the way from like on the bottom end of just light as possible to like uh, violent at the other end, right? So right, and yeah. and and that uh, and that the you know the touch it be, again it becomes like the iPhone that we're the Skype call that we're trying to have with someone else mm. that the the more facility we have with the tools of touch yeah you know and we do a lot of mas massaging of each other and a lot yeah. of it is like with our feet standing putting yeah. our body weight yeah which you could really do a lot of damage if you don't know what you're doing sure so you know we kind of guide people to to be very aware. Mm. Of their body weight and aware of the person that they're standing on, mm. uh, to to notice signs of distress, to notice signs that you can go a little deeper. Sure. Um, so I think it's it's you know if you're only it's like being in a car mm. and your only communication tool is, is your horn. Mm. You know how do you make it cheerful or right as opposed to being able to have conversations? So I think yeah. what what Sistema has given me is a very broad vocabulary of touch mm. that allows me to interact with people in much more appropriate ways. Don't miss your chance to train with senior Sistema instructor Martin Wheeler at the four-day masterclass North Carolina, October 10th to 13th, 2019. The theme this year is soft work to full speed, a progressive multi-day exploration of fighting tactics, covering basic moving and striking, advanced grappling and takedowns, full speed knife and stick work, and tapping the unconscious mind in combat. The event is strictly limited to 35 persons, and advanced pricing is $650 for both days by April the 1st, with the option of a non-returnable deposit of $150 to hold your Register online at ncsystema.com slash events or email us for more details. So there's this idea that once you get over the quantity of touch problem and being like going from my ideal quantity of touch is zero and I'm going to stay over here and never have it, right? Once you've kind of broached that and you've got like, okay, we can make contact with each other, then you can start thinking about the quality of the connection, right? Um, whether it's too heavy, whether it's too light, whether it's too harsh, whether it's annoying and tickly, whether it's restrictive, it feels like I'm trapped when you grab or you hold or you touch, right? Um, and Vladimir, in particular, working with him two weeks ago when I went up to Toronto, it's always just staggering to me how the quality of touch just seems to be correct all of the time, right? Like he can hold your, for example, you're attacking with a knife or something, he can hold your wrist and kind of encircle it with his fingers in such a way that it's completely controlled and there's no question that you're just going to rip your hand back out of it or something or pull yourself away, but you don't feel like you want to. It's kind of, it's reassuring. It's mm. cradling. It's the way, and, and I think that's what's worth remembering, right? That, that touch isn't just violent or sexual um, or controlling, right? Um, you, you wouldn't really call it controlling touch if you were like soothing a baby to sleep or you were like, you know, you were comforting somebody who was crying or something like that, mm -hmm. right? It's not sexual, it's not violent, and you're not controlling them in that instance, right? You're reassuring them. Mm -hmm. So touch has that aspect to it as well. And that's a confusing thing for some people, I think, coming into Sistema who, who are trying to learn 
about self-protection and things like that and this idea that we would use anything other than a violent form of touch do you know what i mean yeah like the, the only gun you should have to go to is like it's a fist and it's as hard as possible or maybe make your fingers into spears and spear them into you know areas that are going to really hurt and that's and that's what i'd seen a lot of times in previous martial arts that I'd done, and like karate and things like that. It's like, make a hard weapon, jam it into somebody's orifice. You know, basically, <laughs> that's kind of like what you have to do, right, and smashing. But like, I think starting with Aikido, I started to realize that there's this idea of how you make the connection is very, very important. And that if you, you know, you can make a very, sometimes a very, very tight connection is called for, and you can't allow any wriggle room, and you have to take all of the slack out of the grab or the connection. Um, but sometimes, if you do that, they'll try and get the hand back. So what you really want to do is kind of almost hypnotize them in a sense with your with your touch and be like no it's fine I, I can just hold on to this and and once you have that quality of touch then you can communicate your emotion from your body to theirs which might be let's just settle down right instead mm -hmm. of like you must die now right yeah. <laughs> kind of this way and you'll never get that across so you can be as as much of a pacifist as you want in your own mind you can connect to yourself and be like you know what, I've, I'm enlightened, I've meditated for a bunch of years, and I've just realized that violence is never the way. I just want to calm people down, and I'm going to practice uh, like a non-violent martial art for a while that lets me blend and make contact. Um, and then I'm going to transfer that feeling to other people so that no, ma no matter how violent they are, I can just calm them down. So like if you don't practice actually making that contact, it's like driving a car around as hard and fast as you can, not worrying about what the tires are doing. Right, never changing the tires, and then just hoping that that connection is going to give you enough traction, or you know, to do what you need to do. Right, mm -hmm. you, you have to practice actually making that contact in different ways, um, and under pressure and in different angles. And when somebody doesn't want to, right, you know, sometimes a child doesn't want to be soothed, and they'll try and pull away from you, and they'll kind of kick and cry and that kind of stuff. But if you persist in the right way, if you touch in the right way, you can calm them down. Right, if you just try and grab them and shake them and be like, "Stop doing that!" Yeah. Right, you're not going to get very much joy. They'll just get more and more upset. Right, and it's the same thing with people. I, I think inside, emotionally, we want to be soothed in some sense, um, and maybe. Sistema doesn't just teach you that psychological aspect, uh, that physical aspect of like, well, how do you physically put hands on people to make them feel comfortable during massage, to allow you to work deeper, um, or just to you know have a controlling type of touch that helps to move them around. But also, how do you kind of extrapolate that to a psychological connection? How do you allow your touch to become a conduit of what you're feeling so that you can try and help alter the way somebody else feels. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, well, I'm thinking about like those National Geographic or Discovery Channel videos of uh, like the, the antelope mm. who, <clears throat> who survive by being really good at reading each other's danger signals. Mm. So I think, you know, as, as, as social animals, we are very attuned to if, mm. if someone around us is upset or sure. scared and, you know, we just, our physiology is to assume, well, if they're scared, then I, yeah. You know, odds are I'll be better off if I'm scared too. Sure. What have they seen? What have they heard? Yeah, it's like, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so the you know so the ability to, you know, to know ourselves, to, yeah. to discover our own stress triggers, bring them down, mm. and then be able to communicate that through touch. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's a very powerful skill, and it goes far beyond the mat. Yeah, definitely. There's another aspect to this, which is. Um, the timing as well, the timing of the connection, right? Because in, in a physical context, when somebody's moving, trying to grab you, trying to strike, doing whatever it is, and, and especially today with the object, right? Swinging a chain at you. If you didn't get that timing right, then it, no amount of attempting to soften yourself is not going to be is going to be perfect either, right? If you enter too much and try and slap your hands on too soon, the chain will whip around and get you, or, or you'll kind of 
clash with the person's force in some way, right? Um, and they'll, they'll feel it in that kind of way. And the same thing is true. I, I think training touch in Sistema gives you an authenticity to it. You're not just practicing touch techniques that you'll do in a certain way, right? You, you're learning in an intuitive way how somebody likes to be massaged or how somebody likes to be mani manipulated. Like, uh, Emmanuel Manolakakis um, did a drill with us uh, a week ago when we were up at, two weeks ago when we were up at, um, in Toronto, and we are there his place on a, on, in a morning class, I think, on a Wednesday. And the drill was that you stand in front of your partner and you take, he makes two fists, and you grab his wrists with his two fists in them, right, in that kind of way. Uh, and then you take his fists and you punch yourself in the face, right? You go, doof, doof, and in the body, like that. And, uh, and, and essentially it was so that the person who was hitting could let go of their shoulders and just have somebody else steer their fists to the target to give you this feeling of what it feels like when there's what Manny calls front wheel drive, when like the, the, the surface of the fist leads the movement and, mm. and the rest of your body just follows with weight, right? Which is, can be quite a difficult thing to do if you're just used to this idea of pushing from the back and slamming with the shoulders. Um, and it did that, but his phrasing really made me laugh. It's just like, you know, show them how you like it. You know, it's just the way yeah. he sort of said it. Grab the fist and show them how you like it. How do you like to be punched, right? It's like, and most people are like, well, I don't, right? Yeah. But like, if you had to be, if you had to make a connection with somebody, so nobody did that and then jabbed themselves in the eye with the corner of a knuckle. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Everybody tried to place the fist kind of squarely on the face or on the, squarely on the neck or a pectoral muscle or something. So very, very soon, um, they were making good connections. You were showing them how to make good connections with the fist. And, it, and then when it came back to like letting go, people were making better connections this way. And there's an aspect to that, right? All the time we're practicing these interactions physically, we're kind of showing each other how we like to be connected with and touched, right? Mm. Even when we, we, we didn't know we needed it. Do you know what I mean? Like to be calmed mm. down. And I think, I think there's definitely something in that for, for like relationships, because sometimes, for example, if somebody's just really, really upset, you could be having an argument or something and they're on, like, on the verge of tears. You might think, you know, sometimes you get to that point where like words aren't really helping and you're trying to say things and all the person really needs is like a hug or like maybe just a hand on the shoulder or something like that, right? And if it's, but it's not always clear to, to what extent that touch will be welcome or comforting. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you can't just grab somebody and be like, come here and hold them. They might, they might not be in that state, but sometimes you can work them in. You can just hold their hand for a while and just let them cry, right? And then you can kind of hold, um, hold onto their arm with your other hand. And you, you almost work your way up that arm to the shoulder like with increasing degrees. And then often they'll just reach for you and they'll sob into your shoulder and they can have a good cry. You know, mm -hmm. somebody has died or something and you're comforting them. You wouldn't just grab them and like, come here, I'll, I'll, I'll comfort you with my touch. I know how yeah. to do it, right? So there's this, there's this sense that there's the right timing, there's the right kind of location and precision in the way that you work with your touch. Um, and that comes, that can, that has to be authentic. Like, I, I hate it when I see things like that, almost like 80s power move type stuff when like the Trump handshake, you know, when somebody mm -hmm. grabs you and then you grab their elbow and be like, yes, here's how I do it. Yeah. Or people making like hand gestures that just don't seem congruent with the way that they're talking, all those kinds of things. Just give me the creeps, right? You can see when somebody's trained to do a, like a special touch thing, like politicians or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that will make us suspicious and doesn't make like proper connections. But the opposite, like what, figuring out how to make really good quality connections with people, even when they kind of don't want to, even when they're agitated or upset or fearful, is, I think that's a very, very powerful thing. And it, there's not many other places you can practice it except maybe massage. And funny enough, the people who have come from massage therapy, um, Roy Hatcher down in Charlotte that I know down here, and uh, like Taryn Rosenthal who trains here as well, and, and yourself as well mm -hmm. to an extent, right? Um, that knowledge of how to touch the body really does translate to Sistema, like in a way that people who've never practiced it don't quite get sometimes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and 
It's that the other the other person's body is telling you things. Yeah. And if you're again, if you're if you're not embodied yourself, hmm. it's like you don't have the right receiver. Yeah. You know, so then you're going to like I've I've had experiences where, you know, even even in, in Sistema, and this is more in the early years, but still, if I'm working with someone new or someone that I sort of look up to in some way, or like when we do the the massage back and forth, I can feel my ego getting involved. Like, oh, I really want to do a good massage mm. for them, mm. and you know, even it sounds like it's not ego, but it kind of is. Right. Like yeah. as opposed to simply being present with this calf muscle right like and not having not having a thought of, of how what my grade is mm. okay right so so then being able to then drop back into my own body and my own breathing yeah bring my awareness to the extent that i can to the sole of my foot mm. and, and let let that because the sole of the foot doesn't have an ego mm. <laughs> it's it's just touching a calf sure yeah um, so you know again to like the I think you know a lot of, and again, you know, this is all couched in this discussion of consensual and me too and and sure. negotiation and awkwardness. Mm. Um, but one of the things, like when when it be, when that becomes the main context, then the question is just, is this consensual or not? Which is a very unfortunate binary way to think about touch. Mm. Like you're yeah. either. You know, you're either okay with me doing this or you're not okay with me doing this. It doesn't really leave room for relationship, for or exploration. Kind of okay or becoming okay with and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. For exploration and sure. for, you know, for, for offers. Yeah. So, mm. you know, so in a, like I used to do improv mm. and improv is all about you make an offer mm. and the other person's supposed to say yes and. Right. right? And, mm. you know, Sistema reminds me of that a great deal. Mm. You know, and, and that you've, you've, you know, you create a safe space Hmm. in which people can take risks hmm. that they don't you can't really take other places yeah yeah in the, in the wider context of what we're doing in practice and mm -hmm. training yeah definitely but yeah i think you bring up a good connection there between the idea of like massage and like um sexual contact right even though it's difficult mm -hmm. to talk about in some ways and then violence right in that in if it's like a good massage you don't massage at somebody Right? You don't just be like, I'm going to massage at you and here's my sequence of massages that I do. And it doesn't matter what kind of hip problem you've got with your hip or other pre-existing injury you have. Right? It's a pretty poor massage therapist that won't even ask you what's going on before they just start their massage sequence. Right? Right. Probably you're in for a bad one if that's the case. Right? Yeah, I've, I've had plenty of those. Yeah, I mean, I guess they exist, right? but, it's, um, but the best ones are normally the people who are working around what you've got and with what you've got. And they're constantly kind of moving and touching and listening and checking range to see what they can work with. And then and they're very careful about the way they go through it. I mean, even Aramarco, our guy, right, who does mm -hmm. structural integration, he's legendarily ruthless in the way that he repositions things, but he won't force anything out of position. He'll just put you in a position where it's, it's difficult, but if you're willing to do the work, then you'll move it yourself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, kind of that way. So you don't massage at somebody, and sex is the same way. You don't have sex at somebody, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, not if it's gonna be any good, like for the most part, right? There's gonna be, if there's no kind of, um, that even if it's completely consensual, if you act like you're having sex at somebody, it's still not gonna be a good time for the person who, you know, right. who said that it was gonna be a good idea in the first instance. There's, there's gotta be a, a, like an acknowledgement of what's going on with the other person and how you can work with that and how you can build it up. And the same way, it wouldn't seem like this, like applies to fighting in the same way, but again, I think like the prevailing martial wisdom is that you do fight at people 
right? The person comes to you and you're going to beat them down, you're going to break mm-hmm. them, you're going to smash them and trample them and all that kind of stuff, right? But in Sistema, you don't fight at people. You don't even really fight with people. It's more of a of a, of a relationship and a conversation. And, and when you find that perfect strike that just tells somebody to sit down and they just relax and they're like, oh, that's, I guess we're done, right? You've just closed the conversation in a very specific way, right? <laughs> but there was definitely a conversation there. And if you just tried to hit at somebody, usually it won't have that effect. And the, and the degree of mastery that you see in like Vladimir and Mikhail is somebody that's already having the conversation long before you attack them. Right, everything in your body positioning and your emotions and your posture and the way that you move is, is giving them information and they're already kind of taking that in and they're also having the conversation with you. They're positioning their bodies in specific ways and they're relaxing themselves and they're having influence over you before you've even made contact. So that by the time you make contact, it's pretty much over. They're like, okay, and here's where it ends. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas most of us will flannel around and shout at each other in a physical sense right? <laughs> for a long time before one of us decides to try and calm down. Um, and then it will go up and down and up and down. And this is something Vladimir even said directly to me two weeks ago. He's like, you know, when somebody tries to grapple with you or tries to fight with you, it should be like a conversation. Don't just walk away from it. You have to stay connect. You have to be connected to them, and then you stay connected all the way to them being on the ground, right? You don't mm-hmm. don't hit them and throw them away, right? Mm-hmm. You're involved all the way down. And if you if you connect that way, it'll be very very different because you connect with everybody and everything, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and that was fascinating to me as an idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's you know just like, you know, like the I don't want to say the goal of sex, but the, you know, the an outcome mm-hmm. is a place where you lose yourself, mm-hmm. right? Where where there's not me and the other person, but there's mm. there's unity. some there's mm-hmm. a unity. Yeah, um, and you know if you think about like you know us taking things in like you know food and water and oxygen mm. that become us. Sure. And then we let go of things that are no longer us. That we're basically a you know a flow. Sure. We're yeah. a, or we're a stock, and yeah. there's a flow. And I think the same thing can be true of the information that we get from other people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that when when I see Vladimir, you know, it's it's like he's, I'm influencing him as much as he is influencing me yeah. by his by his own design. Like he. He allows that he, flow through. He allows it yeah. without without losing himself yeah. and without needing to be greater than. Yeah, whereas like most of us kind of get in the way, right? We, we, we impose ourselves over that conversation too much, maybe. Yeah, hmm. yeah. If, you, you know, if we see ourselves as in process hmm. and then other beings are in process, then um, there, there's, a, there's a flow and a mutuality hmm. uh, that I think can lead to much better outcomes, whether whether the other person comes seeking violence or domination or not. Right, yeah, well said, yeah. So that also brings us on to this last aspect of connection, which is the connection between ourselves and not just interpersonal, just not just us and one other person or something, but with our greater environment, right? And again, spending two days outdoors in this recent survival camp that we did, it's, it's amazing how much just that input, the, the rough leaves and the bark and the spiky things when you lie down on the ground. And mm. like, like Brian Marco, one of our instructors, pointed out that you know, it was difficult it was, or different working with people in that environment because they're so desperate not to go to the ground. Right? Mm. When you have like a nice flat floor, like a wooden floor, and you, and you know how to fall softly, or you have like a nice squishy mat or something, martial arts mat, then you're okay with going to the ground and about halfway through the movement when you're teetering. You won't fight tooth and nail to stay on your feet, right? You'll you'll be like, okay, this is going to be better if I just lose my balance and, and roll, right? Or lose my balance and kind of uh, collapse into myself or something. But it's if you're not convinced that you can do that, it's amazing how 
how much longer somebody will try and stay on their feet in a wooded environment so as not to go to the ground and dirty themselves mm. or like fall on something spiky, right? Whereas usually it's still better to soften than go to the ground, right? But people will hang out for that extra couple of, you know, microseconds, right? <laughs> Just long enough to lose their balance really badly and actually hurt themselves when they fall on a tree stump, right? So it's, mm. so it's really, it's quite interesting seeing that. But also the ambient temperature, I mean, it went, um, it was, fairly warm during the day and then after the sun went down we're all like shoving each other around and punching each other at sunset and we're like oh this is beautiful look at the sun coming through the trees and then about an hour later everybody was freezing and we're still punching each other and throwing each other around but the, the tone changed to like let's get this over with mm. like from right we're not having a good time anymore yeah. uh, and it was harder for me to keep morale going like I was enjoying it still some other people were enjoying it some people just were done at that point right yeah. uh, and then in the morning first thing getting up like people some people really didn't sleep it dropped to below like 32 degrees, like below freezing point. Um, and people just didn't sleep. And uh, you know, a couple of the guys had to go home or stuff like that, right? And some of us did okay. And we slept all the way through the night. But in the morning, people were so averse to start moving again and doing push-ups and lying on the ground and relaxing. It's like, oh, I can't, I'm so cold and so mm. stiff. Um, but you have to kind of go through that and get out the other side. But, it's, but you can see how it alters your ability to fight, your ability to think, your ability to interact and see things for the way they actually are because you're too kind of closed off. You're trying to fight your environment instead of getting at one with it. Um, and the, the one biggest thing that I've learned from going to seminars with Konstantin Komarov, both like immersion camps and like wilderness camps, survival camps I've done with him, um, was that the first thing that you do in any environment is just get accepted, right? Become a part of it, lie on the ground, breathe, feel your body on the inside and then turn your attention away from the inside of your body now so accepting that we're one piece of stuff on the inside that you can move your consciousness around within now flip it out and get okay with all the sights all the sounds all the smells the variations in air pressure and temperature anything that you can sense like in your environment and kind of reach out with your sensory tentacles and try and try and get a feel of that and then just be a part of it and then in his words like when something changes you'll know it right away Right? because you've, you've kind of got what the baseline is. So if something s sudden happens, if somebody sneaks into that or somebody appears that wasn't there when you took that snapshot, then you'll see, feel it on the subconscious level in a way that somebody who doesn't interact with the environment and I guess the, the kind of you know, stereotypical opposite to that would be somebody staring into their iPhone in a public place, right? Oblivious to things going on around them. And you can see numerous YouTube clips of people staring into their iPhones, getting, you know, cold cocked and stabbed and things like that in mugging incidents and stuff. It's horrible to watch, right? Mm. But you're like, it's the obliviousness that got them hurt here, right? That's pretty much what it was. Um, it's that kind of oneness with the environment that gives you the ability to interact with it. But there's lately I've been thinking there's more to it than that, that that, that connection with everything around you is always there, right? And that, we're just switching it off, right? We don't have to try and find it. Mm. We just have to avoid doing things that deny it. We have to avoid doing things that create that subject and environment duality. Yeah. You know, the, the, we have to try hard to be like, I'm in here and everything else is out there. And if you sit still for long enough and you relax long enough and you stare into the, the field around you long enough um, and you accept those things coming in, then you'll start to feel like it's one thing. And you're like, oh, well, I'm creating... Martin Wheeler recently in his seminar did the same thing. He's like, okay, close your eyes, breathe for a while, open your eyes. If you want to know what the inside of your head looks like, this is it, right? <laughs> that, that you're, in, so that you're creating this whole simulation around you mm. in every second that passes, right? And so this is all appearing inside your head. And what you see will change depending on your state, depending on your emotions, and depending on how tense you are, right? So... So this is always there, but 
we don't, there aren't many ways of exploring this. Again, maybe meditation could be another one that works for some people. Um, I never found it out of meditation in the time that, but I never mm. maybe stuck at it long enough to really get that. But I do find it through Sustamba and it's, it's visceral, right? It's, it's like I can be out in nature and lie down and do this for like three minutes and then sit up and I'm like, Whoo! it's like the whole world rushes in and it's closer mm. to my head or my body than it was before. I'm like, ooh, now and you feel really alive and everything comes yeah. up. And, and I'm desperate to keep that all day, but I'm very aware that it just doesn't happen. I'll, you know, I'll watch a movie for a long time and I get immersed in the movie and my sense of self and the connection to it is gone. Or I'll just check email or I'll be immersed in, you know, doing some presentation or something like that, something non-physical, and it goes away. And it takes work then to get it back, right? We put our focus in the wrong place yeah. in some way. So. Well, so I'm, I'm reading this book that's very relevant to this conversation. It's called Radical Wholeness by Philip Shepard. Mm. And one of the things he talks about is that we have five senses in yeah. our Western world. And, and he says, those are, those are arbitrary. Mm. They're, not, they're, they're all based on this idea that we are separate from our environment and that things from the environment hit us yeah. in various holes and you know, then we take it in. Yeah. So there's other cultures that have very different senses. So mm. there's cultures that have um, a sense of balance. Yeah. Right. There's cultures that have a sense, uh, like you talked about feeling air pressure. Sure. There's not really, we don't really have a sense for air pressure. We kind of do. It's, it's through touch. So that's barrioception and the mm -hmm. equilibrioception is the sense of balance. Right. Right. So but these are. Yeah, yeah, but we have the senses, sure. but we yeah. don't have words for them to pr sort of privilege them. Right. We don't, yeah, we only have if the, you study it. In like we have the chosen five, and we have all sure. these interoceptive sure. senses. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a culture, I can't remember what it was, called. It had, they have a sense of speech. Hmm. Like, what does that mean? So, well, a lot of people don't know what they're thinking until they start speaking. So hmm. speaking your words is actually like sending tendrils out of thought. Wow, that's crazy. Right. There's actually, there was, sorry, not to interrupt, but there was, um, I think I read a piece yesterday saying that it finally proved that humans... Uh, have magnetoreception like mm. most other animals like have a sense of they put them in a big faraday cage and then they rotated where the magnetic pole was uh -huh. and nobody moved their head in the way that you would if you moved the whole room but when you scanned their brains their brains all knew that the pole had rotated uh -huh. so like humans have this mag we we can sense the magnetic field right and apparently some better than others because mm. i get lost too easily but there you go but it's there you know it's a, it's a subtle sense but it's there sorry yeah right so but, yeah. but you know to to do sistema and to be aware like you had us like run and stop before we hit the wall, mm. right? And you had us do echolocation. Sure. So yeah. to to expand and break down these these uh, you know, the culturally imposed sense that I am these are my senses. They are external. You know, they are there for me to take in the outside world. Yeah. Then you know then. You talked about like you can have this buzz for a couple of minutes, but then it goes away because our culture sure. makes it go away and we interact mm. with our culture. So I think, you know, Sistema is a very good antidote mm. um, because, because it allows us to, to tap into body wisdom that's, that, that senses things. And, you know, at least, like I've had experiences of what you would probably call paranormal, mm. right? Where... I can't explain how I knew something or how somebody knew something. And sure. the only way the Western rational, skeptical science can explain it is law of averages. Okay. Right? Well, yes, you, you had that thought and then that thing happened and sometimes that happens. Or you were picking up on more subtle cues, right? Like through, right. Through an extended connection or sense of like sensory mechanism, right? Right. But if it's, you know, if my wife can tell 
Um, we were in Israel together before we were married, and she got a premonition that my father was going to die. Mm. And he died five days later, and he was perfectly fine. As far as I knew, I wouldn't have left. And mm. like, okay, I don't have a place in my Western brain to put that. Mm. Um, that there are the, the holding open possibility. Mm. Um, whether you believe in that or not is irrelevant. Sure. But the, the fact that, you know, that we have senses and we have sensory mechanisms and we have connections that we don't understand and that our culture doesn't value. Yeah. I think Sistema has been for me a, a very fruitful way to kind of break through some of those shackles. Yeah, definitely. And, and on the, on the, in the wider sense, this idea that once, once you do that, um, once, once you establish this interconnectivity of everything, right, this can lead people to different kinds of moralistic belief, all that kind of stuff, right? Again, things that you can't easily put in a box, right? The, a wider sense of connection to all of nature can have profound influences on the decisions that you make, right? That whether or not you protect the environment, for example, like why should you yeah. give a crap about some whale off the coast of Japan right. if you're not consuming it or it's not affecting you and that kind of stuff? Well, if you feel like fundamentally you're connected to all of nature, um, then maybe you will, right? And maybe you'll act in different ways, like for your community and your environment, if you feel that way. Um, and some people go beyond that to feeling something spiritual or feeling something religious in that connection to everything, right? Maybe, um, as Valerie said in an interview that we did a couple of weeks ago, she's like, many people explore themselves very, very deeply through Sistema. And then um, as a result of that, they find God or they find a spiritual path or they find um, something else which bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. um, which is which can only be a good thing. It makes people stronger when they feel like there's something more than themselves to work for, right? Rather than this self-absorbed kind of cut off from everybody else, isolated. I'm surviving, and that's all I'm doing, right? Arguably, you can survive like that. I don't think we can thrive like that as people. In order to thrive, we have to acknowledge and maintain all of those levels of connection like within ourselves, between us and each other, between us and our environment, and this overbinding sense that all of it. All of it is connected, and that's that's where real health is. You know, physical, spiritual, and psychological. I think. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't get somebody walking around, you know, like purposefully cutting their fingers and going, mm. "Ha I don't care about them," right? Because right? we see the fingers as part of ourselves. Yeah. And so, to have that holistic view, of course, is going to lead to a, a more what I would call an ethical stance. Mm. Um, but you know, the, like I think to be happy, you have to live in accordance with reality. Yeah. So if this is all like a fairy tale, then mm. it's nice. But if but if reality is we are connected, there is this 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 unity, this wholeness mm. where none of us is separate. This, you know, the same way like I'll the you know whatever air I breathe in today, someone else is going to breathe in tomorrow. The molecules mm. that made up a star are now in me. Sure. Like if that's the ulti ultimate truth, mm. then not living in accordance with truth has to hurt. Yeah. Well said, bro. All right. Well, that, that went as many possible directions as connection could. I think that's yeah. good. <laughs> well, thanks very much. And I hope the rest of your day is fruitful with connection and bereft right. of isolation. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Systema, please visit us online at www.ncsystema.com. Mm -hmm.